What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. My name is Carl, and I'm excited to be rocking with you guys for yet another episode. I am so excited to be joined by an amazing guest today. And you know, sometimes I like to do these intricate introductions where I highlight a bunch of amazing things, but sometimes the guest is so special that they need to do it themselves because one, I don't want to miss anything, and two, they are just that amazing. So welcome to the show, Adrian. Please introduce yourself. Tell us about your background, where you are, what you're doing. And again, thank you for joining me today. Uh, so, hey, my name is Adrian Waller, I'm also known as a worldwide educator. And with my clubhouse room, I always say I started my expat journey at the age of five. And since I've lived in Germany, South Africa, Qatar, China, Kuwait, and now I am in the Cayman Islands. I work as an assistant principal by day in the evenings and weekends. I spend a lot of time supporting people who want to realize their dream abroad, want to get out of the classroom and elevate into other positions, want to transition. And that's kind of what I do in a really like 30 second blurb about who I am. So you you said a lot in that 30 second amazing blurb. And I'm, I'm going to get to all of that. But I first want to get to you ran through them countries pretty quickly. Can you say them <laughs> one more time? Because I'll... So, so first of all, just say it one more time because I have a whole lot of commentary <laughs> regarding that. So as a kid, I was in Germany. Okay. In college, I did research and was in South Africa. I finally, as an adult, was like, oh, I can leave America and still be an educator. I went right. to Qatar. I realized I deserved better. So I mm. took a job in China. I went on a trip to see my cousin while I worked in China who lived in Australia. And COVID happened. And so uh, I ended up in Kuwait. I realized Kuwait was not for me. And I said, deuces. And now I'm <laughs> in the Cayman Islands. Okay. And the Cayman Islands, one, the last word says, speaks volumes to me because it is an island. And then Cayman just sounds like money. So what is it like being in the Cayman Islands? Can you describe the Cayman Islands for people who don't know what it is and what it looks like at all? It is beautiful. So like when people mm. are like, is it as beautiful as I think it is? Yes. Actually, pictures don't do it justice. Like I'm talking about beautiful water, no matter where you live, even if you're like in like a cheaper area, you're never far from water. It's not a really, it's a really small island. So literally the suburb that I'm from, a suburb of Detroit, which isn't even one of the biggest cities, is the same size as the population of the whole country. Like the, like not the geographic size, but the population size is equivalent. So it's about 60,000 people. So not big. So there's some very hometown feels that you get everybody know everybody and you know you go places you're like oh I can't escape seeing people who you know I work with you know which is very different than being in Shanghai where there's 25 million people it was the biggest city in the world like these are very opposite so that's a interesting dichotomy um they have a thing called K-Mankind here and it's very real people are just really sweet and nice like when I first moved here my um, realtor, I could, it was struggling because transferring money out of America to a different country is mad hard. I didn't know that. I've always just sent money to America. I've never tried to get money out of America. America. Ooh, that's, that, that's hard. So like, that's a whole nother conversation. But I couldn't get the money out. And I definitely couldn't get out to the Cayman Islands where they thought I was trying to launder some money. My mm-hmm. realtor was like, oh, that's okay. I'll upfront pay 5,000 USD for you for your place. Uh, and I'll go buy you some stuff for your place so you're ready when you move in. And I've never met you. And then when a hurricane happened, she's like, oh, are you stuck by yourself? I will come pick you up and you can stay with me. 
This was my realtor, mm-hmm. not a friend, not a coworker, my realtor. So like, there's just a lot of that. And I can go on and on for like my first year here. I basically didn't buy a car. I borrowed cars and people were like, oh, you're renting a car. Don't rent a car. Here's a car. And literally when I somebody's like, oh, if you need anything, let me know. I was like, oh, well, if you just have a car laying around, she's like, actually, I do. I was like, wait, what? People have cars <laughs> laying around? Like, that's a thing? <laughs> um so yeah, it, it's just a really beautiful, but it's super expensive. So all of that said, all the beauty you pay for it in every meal, every tank of gas, you know, like, but there's a lot of free, beautiful things. Like I never thought I would love snorkeling. I love snorkeling and mm-hmm. get my, I got my whole little kit and I spent some more money, got some more expensive fins and prescription goggles. And, you know, it's a great little thing to be able to do for free. I have my um, noodles and my beach chairs and my cooler like i'm beach ready like oh you want to go to the beach i got you so (laughs) that actually was one of my questions i was gonna be like hey you're on the island can you swim because you know a lot of us traditionally historically i don't want to say traditionally historically uh skip swim class in high school and we go straight to basketball but um i did i didn't learn to swim till i was 33 me i was 29 hey shout out to us for never saying never because i learned to swim at 29 i've been like it's and it's it's so easy you know like it was hard to get started, but it was definitely easy and definitely changed how I travel because now I can seek the water for more than just laying by the pool, having a drink. I can actually go in to all the water sports that everybody else was doing. that I didn't really get a chance to do before because I just couldn't swim. So I was still doing water sports. I was like, life, life vest, prayer. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, okay, I, I'll be okay. Even if that life vest doesn't work out. But yeah, I, I learned abroad. It was one of the gifts of being abroad was learning this one. Absolutely. And hey, me too. Same. I do want to take a few steps back, though. So I know you are, and start with the episode two is, you are an international educator. You are a vice principal at an amazing at amazing institution. So what? how did you get started? And what led you down your chosen career path, which eventually led you to where you are now, which is the Cayman Islands? Um, so it's funny because I actually fought being a teacher. Like I knew as a child I wanted to be a teacher. And then people would say, oh, you're too smart to be a teacher. You should do something else. And so I looked into like doing medicine type of stuff. And I was going to be a children's hospital CEO. Yes, uh, that's very nice and fancy. And then by the time I um, was finishing my degree at the University of Michigan, I was like, is that what I want to spend more money and more time on? It's like, yeah, I don't know about that. So I did AmeriCorps for a year and I worked with D.C. public schools at a nonprofit that did things around like parental engagement and did a program called literacy through photography. Just through circumstance, the woman who was actually like who worked at the organization ended up quitting and I ended up running the program as like a first year kid out of college. Didn't know what I was doing, but did really well, but really realized through that. And then some of the parental engagement work I was doing, I was like, how am I not a teacher? So I ended up doing Chicago teaching fellows, moving to Chicago, teaching there for nine years. Um, after I lost my father, I kind of had to do like a mental reset or sort of seven years, did a mental reset, came back home to Metro Detroit, taught in Detroit for a couple of years. And it was in my, um, second year in Detroit that I was at this table of leadership and somebody started talking about teachers working in different countries. I was like, wait, I can't leave America and work. She's like, not only can you leave America and work. But you probably are going to have a better work-life balance. You can probably save money and you can travel. I was like, wait, come again? Like, I can do all of that? 
And she's like, yeah, you should look into it. I met my husband in Guatemala. We moved to the UAE. I was like, I might meet a man too. This is getting better. And then next thing you know, I'm looking it up and I somebody contacts me from Qatar. Mind you, I was an ignorant black girl. I know Qatar was a country. I thought it was somewhere near, I thought it was near the UAE. I thought it was in UAE. Didn't know it's its own country, the richest country in the world. But I was like, well, sure, I'll talk to you. Why not? And next thing you know, I was on a flight moving to Qatar. And, you know, from there was just, I also was doing some, like part of me moving abroad was like, is education really still for me? Or should I look into something else? Should I move into nonprofit work? I was really exhausted by the American education system. I was exhausted by like what evaluation looked like, what collaboration looked like or didn't. Um, and so for me, this was like a last ditch effort to see if I was still in education. I was like, well, it's either going to go well now or it's not. And then I'll just come home. And it ended up being probably I tell people it's probably the best deci adult decision I've ever made was deciding to move abroad because that opened the door to like leadership, to renew confidence in myself as an educator and things like that. Okay. And the thing is, like, I can definitely relate. One, I never thought I would ever be a teacher, didn't go to school for it, didn't do any of that. Uh, but I ended up falling into it and I, you know, eventually became the director of an international program uh, abroad in Taiwan to research and things like that. But it was such, it, it all kind of just happened. And it was somebody introducing something that was so unknown to me, then, then kind of putting the pieces together, like, wait, so you're saying I can do all of these amazing things. And, you know, the money is important, but also traveling is important. And also, the work-life balance, right? Because right now, everything is about balance. COVID kind of threw everything out of whack. And now we're all kind of just trying to find that balance between enjoying life, having you know income, family, all that. And that's just kind of amazing. But I can imagine there's a lot of competition in the international education space. So how would you describe that competition? And then how did you navigate that to reach the level of success that you have now? That's a really good question, because I also think that that competition is steadily increasing as people become more disenchanted with education in their home countries, because that's not just an American phenomenon. That's something that's happening in the UK, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, Canada. Like, and Canada's not even the same because Canada is really uh, more people want to be teachers than are available jobs. So that's a different problem. But as more people are seeking additional opportunities to use to leverage their teaching degree, um, you're going against different, different competition. One thing that I can say that the U.S. does really well that helps can help you stand out is understanding and how to support students who learn differently. So like IDEA, which is a longstanding act in the United States from 1984, gives so much rights and support to students who, you know, learn and physically are different. And so as a U.S. trained educator, you naturally have a skill set that may actually be something that differentiates you from your peers. That's not enough, though. I think being able to have a clear understanding of your why and what you're doing, which is something I feel like I have a very clear understanding of why I do this work, how I want to do this work, how I want to show up, um, is able to translate into interviews, is able to translate into forming connections. Because part of the international world is not just being able to have a strong resume, which most people got these old school resumes that they made oh on goodness. MS Word. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, boo boo. You know, that are four pages and ain't nobody reading past page one and a half. So like those things, but be a willingness to learn, I think, has always helped me in being able to apply those things in practice in a practical way, because there's a 
science of education, right? And so like how, you know, it works in the research and all of that. But then there's a reality, the art of it. And so I think being able to really smoothly pair both the art and the science together has been really, really helpful to make me competitive. But it is a competitive market. And most people don't realize like right now when we're recording this beginning of November, I know multiple people who've already accepted their offers for next year. Right. So this is a this is really early where the U.S. timeline is normally like April ish is when you're really looking for next year. No, like by April, you at the bottom of the barrel and op, um, options in the international world. You get you can get out of good school by fluke at that time. You know, after that, somebody quits late, something happens. But for the most part, good, strong schools, particularly if you're looking into leadership positions, they've already started hiring and things like that. Some people, principal jobs can start hiring the August before the year yeah, they're going. That's a longer process. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So like what, and this is kind of a, it's a question I, I'm curious about too, for your perspective on, obviously, because I'm asking it. Shut up, y'all. Listen, don't laugh at me. What kind of people do you think are suited to have the lifestyle that you've developed? And I'm not just talking about the traveling aspect of it, right? Like get into the 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 work that you actually have to do, your 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 day-to-day, day in and day out, what you have to sacrifice as a result of being where you are, but also areas in where you thrive as well. Like what kind of person do you think is able to handle and deal with, and not just handle and deal with, but also thrive in the environment that you're in on a day-to-day basis? I think one of the biggest things is being patient and flexible. I think Mm -hmm. that anywhere you move, like, you know, like I look at all the different places I've been. And I think when you go into there with expectations of your new place being like the place you left, you're already you're already setting yourself up for some disaster right there. Um, And that's not just of country, but that's of school. That's of communities of people. Each one is functions a little bit differently. And there's ways that they're very similar, but ways that they're really different. And you definitely have to be patient. Um, someone recently taught me the um, phrase urgent patience. Um, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's really like ur- being urgently patient. And I think that's like a really good skill to have is like working with like having that like urgency to get things done, but having a patience to let things happen at the pace and the rate that you want. Because they, they just look so different, you know. Um, so that's the one. And then that flexibility, the thing people are going to operate and do things different than what you're used to. And you're going to want to come and say, at my old school, we, and not that there's not value in what you did at your old school, but this isn't your old school. And there's multiple ways this may be different from your old school. This not just uh, country location, but the culture, the income and salaries of people like, you know, when I was in the United States, I mainly worked at like lower income schools, you know, like people who, you know, we had high free and reduced lunch rates and things like that, where abroad, I'm talking to people. I remember I was talking to a parent at the end of last school year and I was like, they're like, oh, yeah, we fly out Saturday at two. And I was flying out Saturday at two. I was like, oh, are you on United? They're like, they're like, no, we're on our private jet. I was like, oh, wow. Like It was a whole re- reality check. Like, oh, you have your own plane. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just happy to get a seat in regular class, like you know, like, <laughs> and so even how you operate and function with them is different. So that ability to be flexible, take feedback, is going to really serve you well. And then, so you know, you've had 
can you talk a little bit about the leadership experiences that you've had, right? Because you're an assistant principal now. And like, what is something that, you know, when you took on this role that you immediately thrived in? And then what are some things that, when you took on that role, that uh, were some hurdles that you had to overcome, you know, as a as a person, as an individual, and also as a Black woman as well? Ooh, I might answer them in the opposite order. I know you should start with the positive, but I'm going to end on a positive. One of the things that was really hard is that naturally as Black women, we're super passionate. And there's a way in which I speak with a conviction that works really, really well lots of the time. But when you're in leadership and you're trying to vacillate between so many different people with so many different age ranges, different ethnicities, different sets of experience, different tolerance for directness, different tolerance for passion and things like that, that can be really difficult. And that's definitely an area, I think I'm even still now figuring out like, how do I not lose me? Because I I'm, I don't wanna lose who I am. I don't wanna lose what makes Adrian special and unique and a lovely person, but I also don't wanna isolate people and people to not feel like I'm there and supportive. So that's a, so, something that I'm learning, you know, like that's a constant reflection point, being able to be a listener, because as a leader, you want to be a problem solver. And, but you really have to be a, a really good listener. Like sometimes people are coming to you not to solve their problems. They're coming to you just to be an ear, to be, you know, somebody to bounce ideas off of. So I've learned to really respond with questions instead of responding with answers. So tell me a little bit, uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, how else could you handle that? What's an alternative? Where might you start? What might happen if you do it that way? Have you considered? So really doing things that force the educator to think and to question and to come up with a solution themselves and not feel like I have to be the solution. Where I thrive is I'm good with people, you know, like for even in the space of what I'm saying, I'm good with people because I'm very authentic. Like I've learned to just accept Adrian for all that is she, you know, all that is me, I'm cool with like, and not just cool with, I think I'm a beautiful person inside. Now I know I have a wealth of things to offer and a wealth of things to learn. And I think because I'm able to just stand firm in who I am, I also make space for other people to do that as well. Like I allow other people to be their full authentic self and to take risks about sharing who they are in ways that traditionally they may not because it hasn't felt like a safe space. So I'm really good about creating safe space, about being who I am and you know just like I'll say stuff and people like did the assistant principal just say that like I'll see a kid like what up homie like you know talking to like a six-year-old and they're like homie or like I'll climb up the logs but like there's like a log structure like Miss Adrian what are you doing climbing the logs teachers aren't allowed to be up here where's that rule where, where, right. where's that <laughs> and they're like I guess it's not. And then one kid goes to me, well, you're going to break it. You're too big. I was like, I think you, I said, it hasn't broke yet. I think we okay. So uh, just being able to be really authentic, I think has helped me thrive both in the interview process, but also in the work that I do is that I'll tell teachers when I don't know, I'll say, I don't know. Let's look at that together. Let's figure that out. Or, oh yeah, that's something I have a lot of experience with. Would you like my support in that? So those are ways that I think I've really thrived. And as a black woman, I've just accepted there are ways that I am unique and different in that space that both help the space, but also, um, you know, there are times where I have to check, check things in a way that makes sure to make sure I'm being inclusive, but not losing, like I said, but not losing me at the same time. 
And that is a delicate balance, right? Being being inclusive and making sure that you're respective of the culture that you're in, but at the same time, doing it in a way that you feel like you are being your natural your natural holistic self. Because that's something that I definitely struggle with. I will say, just think about the things you talked about before that as well. Something that I learned from teaching was patience. I did not have that. Um, what I've learned and I had to relearn, I always say I'm always relearning things I thought I, I thought I knew a lot about. There's always more to learn, was empathy. And empathy to me is leading with like responding in a way that's inclusive of the other person's thoughts, feelings, and opinions and ideas. And the difference is when you're speaking culture to culture, sometimes I can get what you're saying and I don't, and you get my, my response because we have that cultural connection, right? Whether it's black to black, white to white, whatever that may be, there is that connection. But when you're abroad and honestly, when you're, when you're at work, no matter where you are abroad or back at home, everybody doesn't have that cultural connection or that immediate connection with you. So you kind of have to lead with, like you said, very good res- follow-up questions. Like, Hey, if I'm venting to you, if I'm asking for something, maybe my response isn't to direct you somewhere. Maybe I, maybe I need more context to be the best leader that I can be to actually guide you where you're trying to go instead of immediately trying to direct you there. There's a difference between directing and guiding. And that's something I learned through teaching for one, but also just my experiences with being abroad is that is a very fine line to toe. So what has been like one, one of your most rewarding experiences you've had in educational leadership while working abroad? And if you wouldn't mind just comparing and contrasting that not necessarily comparing, but also speaking to something that you did when you were back home or in a place that you spent a little bit more time in as well, uh, just how those experiences weighed for you um, and how you kind of uh, digested them given the circumstances and the place where you were residing. So there's two places where I felt really, really um, successful in leadership. The first was when I was in Qatar and I was working at schools that were really struggling and I was able to step into a leadership role where I was doing essentially teacher training and development. And so it's not like a one, recently I had a teacher, maybe in the last month from when I worked in Qatar, who thanked me for the work that I did when I lived in Qatar. And I moved from Qatar in 2019. And she's like, you know, thank you so much for what you did, what you taught me. I still to this day use so much of what I learned from you, which for me is like, wow, that means I worked there in 2019 as the last time I worked with her 2018, 2019, then you have 2020, 2021, and now we're in 2022. So there's five classes of kids just from that one teacher who have been impacted from the work that I did with her, right? And so to me, that's a pretty amazing thing to be able, that's the thing I love about leadership is the ripple effect of your leadership and how many kids you can really touch. So right there, even if she's only teaching a class of 25 people, you know, kids, I've affected over a hundred lives and that's just one teacher, right? And I've gotten those messages from a few other people. And so having that is just really powerful. So that's one. Um, And then more recently, just this week at two teachers. So at my school, we have an SST process, student support team. And so this is where we look at students who are struggling, whether it's um, with like behavior, social, emotional, or academics. And we kind of take deep dives and look at them and figure out interventions and support to give to them. Last year, we were meeting monthly, and there was a lot of gaps in that. And so at the end of the year, I said, hey, you all, we're going to start meeting weekly. Now, as a leader, to tell your teachers, you take a prep every week is not, like once a week is not an easy thing. And so I knew I was working against like people wanting time because you can never get time back. 
but you can if meetings are actually productive and meaningful. And so changed it to meeting monthly, gave structure to what it meant to talk about students because I felt like last year there we were do- we were having good conversations, but sometimes they weren't focused on solutions and action and what to do. It was a lot of venting because they didn't know what to do. So we changed that structure of how we talked about students. But then we added in um, student work and data meetings where we dive into looking at actual student works that they're producing and looking at the data that we've gotten from the work that students produce to have a really more holistic way of looking at um, our students. And I had two different teachers just on their own just this week say, thank you. I really appreciate this new process. And I was like, yeah, I was worried because it's, you know, once a week, it's a lot of time. They're like, yeah, but it's good time. And I feel like we've done so much more in the few months of school. It's only the beginning of November than we likely did all school year last year. And that just meant a lot to me. That was very, very rewarding. I think you had a second part of the question that I forgot. You already touched on it. So don't need to worry about it. That was actually an amazing response to it. I do want to shift a little bit now into the travel aspect of the work that you've done, because, I mean, the work in education is amazing. And again, assistant principal, hello. Um, it's a job that I wanted once in, once upon a time. Uh, and I just love people in leadership who are doing their thing abroad. Um, but what passions, you know, if any, have you discovered just from travel in general? And how have you been able to travel as a result of the the work that you've done in education abroad as well? Yeah, abroad definitely opened up. Like, I mean, my first year abroad, I went to 20 countries, you know, like, was it 2019? The first year was 12. I went to one a month. That's what it was. Within my first three years, I cleared $30,000 of debt while traveling to like over 20 countries. Um, So that was pretty amazing was like to both. And then I still had fun. Like I still kicked it. I still did brunch. We went to, you know, paintball. Like I did, I did all of the things which would have never happened in the U.S. When I was in the U.S., I was happy to do one nice, kind of nice trip a year. You know what I mean? That I saved all year for versus now everybody's like, you stay in your country for your break? Like, well, where are you going next time? So like, <laughs> that like travel has just been amazing. And it's been amazing because my mom's been able to travel and visit me. And that's been something really special is to have her see my life abroad. And we've gone to countries together. So I think my mom and I alone have tried, have been in like five countries together. So that that's just been really nice and special. I was on the phone with my family before here and talking about where we're going to go and like when my brother's going to come visit. And it's been amazing. And then some of it, you, <clears throat> I just applied to speak at a conference. Hopefully I get accepted. That'll be in Guatemala. Um, I'm going to be on an accreditation team and going to Puerto Rico. So there's both work ways that I've been able to travel, but you have more time off, you have more flexible income, and you're surrounded by people who also have a joy and a love for traveling. And so like, you like, I never would have thought I would go to the Philippines, but being abroad opened me to like, oh, the Philippines would be a great place to travel. It's by far one of my favorites that I visited. I was really surprised at. And I think part of it was like, I didn't think it would be so amazing. Um, and travels just opened up more understanding about who I am and, you know, but who other people are and how unique the world is, how diverse it is, but how similar we are. Like, I mean, the reality is a big city is a big city. I'm not saying they're the same, right? But there are certain qualities that you just realize that once you're in a large city, there's certain ways that they work. There's public transportation, there's tall buildings, there's fast moving traffic. Like 
that's just the quality. I don't care what language you're speaking, what climate you're in. That's a part of big city living, which is the same. But then when you start looking at it more detailed, it's like, oh, but did you know their malls have like roller coasters inside and their malls have, you know, like fresh markets inside and they don't actually have malls. They have everything is stripped. Like those parts are different. So it's neat to both layer both the similarities of places, but also really see the uniqueness. And I think in travel, particularly depending on how you do it, you start to see how colonialism, for lack of any better term, also affected the trajectory of countries and what's there and how different, like, it was really interesting being in Greece. And I didn't realize how many different empires had kind of gone through Greece. And like learning about that and then seeing how all these empires impacted the culture that is now Grecian culture today was like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Or being in Turkey, was it, no, being in Spain and seeing like different architecture that was really taken from the various empires that have come through or even like how climate affects how people live. So like in Norway, having these houses built off the water, but having like a little house and then this bigger house. And I was like, oh, that's really dope. And it's just been, it's been interesting to see how humans have adapted to both other humans invading and coming into their space, but also how natural disasters or natural climates also impact how you move and what foods you end up eating. Like I didn't know tapas were a result of like, people didn't have clean water. So people were drinking wine because wine was actually clean, but then people were at work trying to build stuff and drunk. And so this guy was like, no, so you got to give them food anytime you serve them a drink. And so they would give them a drink and put food on top, but it would just be big enough to cover the drink. And that's where tapas began. Like, them, yep. Yeah, you know, like those things are just so cool and amazing to hear. Like, I didn't know a little plate really had this large history. So things like that have just been just an amazing thing. And what is, how useful is me knowing where tapas came from? Probably not really useful, <laughs> but it's super interesting. Yeah, and it, and and, it, and again, it's, it's something cool that you can walk away saying that, man. I learned something that you just wouldn't ordinarily learn by staying within your own environment and within the same place. And I tell people this all the time. I say, hey, it doesn't have to be leaving the country to get exposure to new and different things. It can be from state to state. I would always encourage people to go out and see different parts of the world because the world is so much and there's so much to offer. And if you just limit yourself to, you know, being in the same environment, then you're going to be exposed to the same or similar things over and over again. And then that thirst, that quest, that hunger for difference, you kind of let trickle into other parts of your life where it doesn't need to be. I need to date different people. I need to do different. No, you need to get out of your comfort zone and be exposed to something that's different and unique because you may be actually happy with where you are and what you're doing, but you just need a moment or a month or a week or just some time to be exposed to something new. So you're like, oh man, I love this. And I also have an appreciation for where I am because that again is that balance. It's like, hey, you can travel the world and still love where you're from. Just because you're a worldly person doesn't mean you don't value your foundation, which is where you come from. And you definitely get that from travel. Again, I tell people I travel all the time and yeah, I don't want to live in America the rest of my life. However, I have an appreciation for where I came from and I understand the foundation on which my thirst and my love for travel came from. Sorry, that was a lot. I didn't mean to give that. No, it's it's so real, though. It's so real. Like I wear Detroit shirts almost every time I travel just because I have such an appreciation for home. And then to your point, and it's something I try and highlight with people who are thinking about leaving is that there are going to be things that you should appreciate, even if you 
you might hate almost all of America. I can guarantee you when you leave, you're going to be moments and aspects of your life. Maybe you won't miss your life in America, but there are going to be things that you love and appreciate that the U.S. might do well or you just like because that's your creature comfort that you will miss when you're somewhere else, like no matter how much you love your new place. And so like I try to take that same approach is like, what is it that I can appreciate about here? And what is it can I appreciate about home? And then that way, it's, it's just an appreciation. It's not like a better or a worse, but there's something different than both places offer. So I just wanted to co-sign on that. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And that kind of leads into my very next question, which is what are some do's and don'ts for moving and living abroad that you can share uh, for our lovely audience? The first one that I talk about, like I said, in my club, Living Life Abroad on Clubhouse a lot is don't go somewhere thinking a tourist visa is how you're going to get, you know, work somewhere. That is a big, big dangerous one. Um, and if you're thinking, and there's a lot of ways to move abroad, right? There's not one way, but I can almost guarantee you a tourist visa is always not the way. You know, there are nomadic visas a lot of countries have. They have long-term working visas. They have, there's all different types of visas. Like some have all these different letters and numbers and an X. 13 and whatever, do your research on um, visas. Because also if you are being, if you're like an educator, so if you're looking to be an educator, if a school is talking about bringing you out on a tourist visa, be worried, start your research. That is a, a very dangerous thing. There are fines, jail time, and sometimes inability to actually come back to actually work in that country, going somewhere on a tourist visa and then attempting to work, even attempting to look for work. Like you cannot come to Cayman on a tourist visa and start putting in job applications. Like that's a big no-no. Like it's that company will get in trouble and so will you. So really kind of look, at least doing your basic research um, about that. And if you see a school's talking about sending you on a tourist visa, start start to kind of really think about, is this the best school to be at? Why they are. Uh, now, temporary work visa is very different. In a lot of places, that's what you'll get when you initially move is a temporary work visa. And so then once you're in country, you can get your full work visa. A lot of places won't give you actual work visas until you're in country. And so that's not unusual. But being there on a tourist visa and then people telling you you have to make a visa run, those are very risky things to do. And I've heard I've been in enough spaces where I've seen people jailed or fined or um, deported because of it. So that would be my first don't. Um, my first do is to make connections prior to landing, like find ways to connect with people before you ever even get in country. And I would say not just through how, whoever is your working. So whether it's a company or a school, make connections there, but also make some that are outside of that. They're likely some type of expat group that's there, some type of interest group. So if you're like, hey, I know I'm really into knitting, you know, looking to connect with people on, um, that do knitting. And so like, I actually have like this, it's called Tech Tools Abroad. It's something that I share on a regular that people can subscribe to get to, but it has all these different things that you can use to help make connections. The first one, the easiest one is just go on Facebook. Um, and if you're Black and you're on Facebook, there's probably a group that says brothers and sisters. Is, yeah, somewhere. <laughs> something, something. <laughs> you know, name the city, name the country. But even if you're not um, and you're listening to this, you're like, well, I ain't no brother or sister. Um, there's likely, you know, Americans and Canadians and things like that. Uh, women of 
all types of things. So like really just trying to make connections. Sometimes the people in your school can help you with that, like, or your company and say like, what are some other groups I might be able to connect with prior to me getting there? Um, because people will help you with small little things. Like find it like I, the first place I went to to get my braids done, which is a very important thing for a black woman was what is expensive. And so then like being able to find somebody. Now I just found somebody who would come to my house and do it for $75. I was like, oh, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes, please. You know, like um, there's some of that comes with time, but the more you're able to make connections with people. And like, if I were to talk to somebody now, now I have that information, you know, oh, hey sis, mm-mm, mm-mm. use her. She really good. Like I have, there's like a company that I use for massages. So really making those connections as early as possible. And then the other do I would say is, Take risks to do things you wouldn't normally do. Like, man, I'm not saying things that you're like, I have zero interest. I don't want to do that. I'm not saying that. But like my principal, when I first moved here, he's like, I, he's like, he was talking to me about all this, wood, how he learned to do all this stuff with wood. And I said, oh, will you make me a desk? He's like, yeah. And he's like, actually, let's make it together. So the desk I'm sitting at right now, uh-huh. I built. And I never would That's have fun. thought I would tell you that I built a desk. And so, um, there's a few other things. I made a cutting board and I just take him risk of trying to learn to do new things that I otherwise wouldn't do. So I would say just kind of be willing to do that and try new things, meet new people, go on new adventures. Like I said, the Philippines was not something that was on my list of things to do, but I heard enough people talking about that, that in Oman. And it was like, I kept hearing people just say good things. When people of different cultures, age and races are all saying something is good and worthwhile. I think it's worth taking a look like what, what's all the hype about. And so that would be another do. And my last don't would be is don't think, you know, a whole bunch about a place you ain't never been to. I don't care how much you've read, how many podcasts you listen to. I, I don't care how much research you put into your new place. You still don't know that much because you've never been there. That podcast was recorded and is already in the past and something about it could be dated and likely has changed. So the people in your experience is different. So like, I'm a single black woman. You may not be a single black woman in her late thirties who doesn't have any children. Like your situation is different. So your experience with that city could also be different. That country could also be different, but time and space really do change it. When I was in Shanghai, it was amazing. COVID happened and all my friends are like, don't come back. This is terrible. So like, you know, and that's just a couple of years how something completely shifted. And so just don't think that you know a lot just because you watched a bunch of YouTube videos, read a bunch of articles and, you know, you, you did your homework great, but no, your homework will never beat you being there. And just because you visit it also doesn't mean, you know, visiting a place is a very different experience than living. And so Absolutely. also understanding that your visit may be very glamorized or you may get the negative end in a visit where you just don't get the same experience until you've been somewhere six months. So really giving things time, but knowing that you really don't know as much as you think, you know. And that's very true. I tell people all the time, Taiwan is a great place to live, not the best place to visit. So if you come to visit me, no, I'm going to give you the best real wanted experience I can give you. But live, but it's different between visiting and living. But also, like what you said, I tell people, I say, hey, when you do things that you normally wouldn't do, I always say this: if you're under the age of fifty-five, you don't got the sugars, then you should definitely go jump out of an airplane. Because I definitely recommend uh, skydiving to everybody because 
I was anti-skydiving. I was talked into it, and it was the best. My stomach, people are, oh, my stomach going to drop. Your stomach does not drop. It is exhilarating. It is a different level of high that I've ever experienced in life, and I want to do it again before I turn 55. I hope I don't get the sugars, but that's what I will say for sure. You be, Wait, so, you, so you, you, you've been skydiving before? Yep, I've been skydiving, and it was a very similar story. Like, somebody, it, it was so random. They told me, like, a week before our birthdays were one day apart. He's like, I'm going for my um yada yada birthday. You want to come? I said, hmm, why not? I'm either going to make it to my next birthday yeah, or not. Right. And it was it was it was a great experience. I'm very much like you. Like I want to do it again. Um, yeah, I'm mad I didn't pay for the video. I was being cheap. If you do go skydiving, Get pay the video. for yes. the video. Worth it. I was in Australia and it was a beautiful sunny day, clear sky, and I have the video. And it's something I I, I reshare that video all the time because. I'm looking at my face, like the camera's right in your face, and like, oh my! And I can literally—it takes me back to that moment and that entire experience where it's like, I did some. Other people say it's crazy, but I had the time of my life, and I would certainly do it again. And with that being said, as a solo black woman living, traveling, and thriving abroad, what does that mean to you? And in what ways do you strive to give back to the community as well? Oh, so solo black woman all of the things you said it's it's been rewarding it's just been such a gift to see and do all the things that i've seen and done I, like i forget how much i've done i'm like oh yeah i went scuba diving at the great barrier reef like that was amazing and i learned my lesson after not paying for my skydiving and i was like yep i'm paying for these pictures i'm paying for this video yep mm-hmm. yep I'm, I'm doing it um it's been just amazing. And so part of what I do are things like this, being open to sharing my story, sharing my stumbles, um, both in public and in private. I've done tons of free calls to help people. Like on my website, you can book 15 minutes free with me, but there've been people who were like, hey, I I don't have the money, I I need help. But not that I'm encouraging because I am running the business, but you know, I will work with people via email. Um, I've allowed people to sponsor other people. So I've gotten sponsorships in. I have a couple sitting. So if you know, like, hey, I'm serious and I want to do this work to make this possible, I do have some sponsorship money sitting there for people who are willing to put in the work and the effort to get it, you know, make that um, transition if this is something they want to do. Um, I do a whole lot of other things. Like I run, I uh, help, I work with this organization called Black on Black Education. And we run something called the Teacher Action Board. And so it's not just for Black people, anybody can join. But we curate experiences about learning about like like social justice work and how do we do this and how do we become better educators. I started a Jedi, like not started, but like really revamped the Jedi Committee at the school and expanded it, got us to start having committees that are actionable towards this work of justice, equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion. Like I'm constantly in a learning space. Like I sit with my TAs and I'm like, hey, here's how I can support you and getting them like, hey, this is a PD I'm doing. Here's how you apply for the funds through the school and walk them through that process. And here's what the course is like. I'm taking the course too. I'll support you. And this is what this looks like. Here's my screen. Here's how I do it. So like, I really just have a love for people and, you know, wanting to, I want to see people win particularly people who look like me. I want to see us win. And if you're willing to put in the work to win, I'm willing to work with you to help you. Well, absolutely. And again, I tell people all the time, like that's, oh, why do you, why did I start the podcast? And why do I podcast now, even though I'm not 
currently abroad, but I have a lot of abroad experience. And I said, hey, I have so much information and knowledge and passion to share. And I think it's not, for me, it's it's not, it's always just been because I once, had I known what I, known a little bit more than I knew before I went, my experience would have been different. But at the same time, I would have not, I wouldn't trade the experience I had for anything. And that has a lot of weight on both sides. It's like, yes, I want to empower someone that maybe doesn't have the information that I have to have a more rewarding experience from jump. But that doesn't in any way say I don't value the experience that I had because every single moment I learned from, I grew from, it made me who I am today. And I I made it through a lot of different genres, right? When I first started traveling 10 Well, when I lived abroad, wasn't no iPhones, wasn't no FaceTime. It was Skype. It wasn't any map like Google Maps figuring out where to go. It was connecting with people on the street, making friends, getting lost and figuring it out without immediately having a cell phone to tell me where to go. And I I take a lot of pride, not a lot of pride, but necessarily it really made me build character and where I was living. I had to figure it out the same way growing up as a kid. I didn't have those things. I had to figure out my community, my neighborhood, my school, my friends, and my family. So there's a lot of value in that. And like, why would you? And I, this is, I, I phrase the question like this for a reason. It's like, why would you? And do you encourage people in our community to consider having these experiences in education, but also beyond education as well, abroad? I definitely think the experiences of being abroad, like I tell people, even if you end up getting there and realizing it's not for you and you leave break contract, which I don't encourage, but like if that's what you end up doing, that's your experience. I can guarantee you're going to be a different person, a better person for having done it. Like I tell people I'm a better human being because I left. Like there's so much I've learned and grown. Like I remember the first time my mom came to visit me, she sat back and she looked, she's like, wow, like you, you really mature. Like, like I see, I can see the different person in you. And that was six months in, right? That wasn't even like I had been gone all that long. That was six months in. And she was like, wow. And so I really think that opportunity to be uncomfortable, to learn how to be uncomfortable, you know, yeah, like we have maps and all this stuff, but the maps in other countries, they don't, they don't Google, don't Google the, way, the same way everywhere. Like, you know, that's, be that's just, <laughs> you know, you know, they say the math ain't math and the Google ain't Googling. Like that does not always work. And so you still have to rely on people. Like I remember being in the Middle East and I was like on Google, the direction said like the address was across the street from this. I said, what? How How your address is a landmark of something on the street? Like that just blew my mind. Like they were literally just getting addresses. Like when I moved into my building, my building didn't have an address. Like they put the address plate up like months into being there. Like that blew my mind. Like y'all just got buildings and no addresses. And so like locations were the only way you could really do anything. Right. And then even those weren't always super accurate. Like the locations say you here, but you really down, oh, down yeah. there. Is. <laughs> so, you know, like I just think that I definitely, I, I think it's great. I think particularly if you're an educator, like there's a work-life balance I've, I've had, even in the most hectic and hardworking places, is still a better work-life balance than anything I experienced in the U.S. Uh, my savings potential has just been higher. I've been able to travel. I've been able to meet people who also push my thinking because as much as like all these different places you could learn and be an educator in the U.S. are different, 
there really there's a very similar pedagogy around education from a U.S. perspective, and there's a very different one in South Africa, in the U.K., in Australia, in New Zealand, and being in rooms and sitting at tables with people who have in Canada who have all these varied experiences. And mind you, not only do they have might they have their experience of their home country and where they might have learned to be an educator. They also have all the places they've been on their journey that they also bring into that. So you're getting such a wealth of knowledge and experience. And I think it's really unfortunate that sometimes some places have been reluctant to hire. I think that's changed, but there was a reluctance because there are some renegade schools out there, right? So you can you can be doing some trash teaching abroad. I would just say oh, that. My goodness. <laughs> right. Yes. So some schools in the US are like, I don't know if you're a real teacher, but like if you're at your quality schools, ones who have like accreditation from reputable ones that accredited in the United States. So if you're accredited by organizations like NIAS, WASC, uh, MSA, CIS, those, those are really, those schools are likely better in doing, you know, competitive, uh, comparative work to what you would do back home. But now you're doing it with people who have a breadth of experience you can just learn from. And I think that you, you got to take advantage of that. It's just something priceless. Like there's no amount of money you can pay for somebody's lived experiences, being able to share it with you and you be able to kind of take that on and say, okay, I've learned from you. Now this is what I would do. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, I, honestly, I, every, I, I, I've not, y'all know me. I'm never at a loss of words, but I ain't nothing else to add because she hit on all the bullet points in case you guys were listening. She did. So, I mean, I have, I do have a, okay. So I, I, I was debating whether I wanted to ask this question because, but I, but I know, I feel and I know that you can relate because one of the things that I'm working past, even in like podcasting, right? So my audience knows I'm very, I, I'll tell you guys everything. I'm very authentic in my experience. I've been to 50 countries, but the last country I've been to was three years ago. And as we know from the pandemic and just from life in general, every year, sometimes from month to month, the places I visit or the experiences I have are not the same as what they used to be. And when I'm sharing and when I'm giving and when I'm, you know, in, inquiring and things like that, it's, I guess my question is, how do you keep yourself in the present while appreciating the past? And how does that knowledge, that passing on of that knowledge and that feeling, because the further away from it, some things, the further disconnected you kind of get from it. So like, how do you maintain all of that um, as you continue to move forward with helping people? Because that's the business that you're in is helping, assisting, pulling up and pushing forward. Uh, so how do you do that with the work that you do? Ooh, you, you, you dropping heavy questions. I was like, oh, this is a good question. I think for me, the first way I kind of go about doing that is I, I think that everybody, and this is just like a tip that please take it because it's a, a, a big one is. I try to build like a portfolio and not necessarily a portfolio, but like a running list of like experiences I can speak to, right? That I can use in like interview situations, things like that, that you just keep. So like you have it in a Google doc or you have it in your notes or whatever, but I keep a running list and that can include experiences of travel that can include the work, but those learning things, the things that, and when I work with clients, I give a few dimensions of things to think about, whether that's like how you've been collaborative, how you dealt with a challenge, things like that. So I think one way I appreciate it is by not forgetting those stories and those experiences and what those stories and experiences brought me. 
but also who they've brought me to. So being able to live in the present is like, I learned this. So like one lesson I learned in China was like, I was so ready to like, just get in and solve that I did a really terrible job. This terrible. Like I had talked to my boss and my boss was very clear about where she wanted the, um, co- you know, like not the company, the school to grow and where my expertise could help with that. So I was like, Ooh, I know what, what I'm going to do, but I, I didn't know the people I had never been there. And so I just dived in and I burnt some bridges in a way. Like I had people weren't able to see and know my love and my passion. Cause they just saw me altering, changing, making things different versus what is the value that they have. So like, I keep that experience with me. That's part of what I remember. And I, loved about China and I, I, I keep it and I don't forget it, but I use it to help me be better today. And so that's kind of the best way that I do it is like making sure you're capturing and holding on to those stories. So you're able to talk to them. And this is just like an interviewing tip because I do a lot of interview coaching is around being able to have clear stories that you can tell in your interview. People think the interviews are about selling a skill set and they're not. They're really about being able to say that you can work here and you can be successful working here. And working in a place is a set of skills, but a lot of those are soft skills as well. And storytelling allows you to really sell those soft skills while highlighting the technical skills that you have as well. Like if I tell you a story, you can visually see how I differentiate. If I just tell you I differentiate and list how you can differentiate, I can't actually see you doing it. So now through the story, you can see that I do it and you can tell I have the skills without me telling you I differentiate. I'm telling you a story about how I've enriched my classroom and the examples that I'm giving. You can start to picture kids in flexible seating across my room, making decisions and choices about how they want to actually show showcase their learning all related to unit, you know, a unit on simple machines. Right. That's. And that wasn't even really a great one, but I could go with if I actually tell you this is a unit I did using that as an example, even if you're not going to teach, maybe your grade level doesn't do simple machines, the thinking process about how you do it still applies. So the idea of having stories and being able to have them both allows you to appreciate and remember where you've been and what's happened, but also live in the present about how that's created the person that you are today. Well, absolutely. And again. I have nothing else to add, y'all, because uh, she out here killing it. I don't know if y'all been listening the past 54 minutes, but uh, she's been dropping many a gems. Um, and again, I just, all, all Carl on the Black XFL podcast aside, it's been an amazing conversation. I've learned so much. I've relearned, because like I told you guys, no matter how much you think you know, there's always some more left for you to grow and uh, and to know. I like rhyming. I know I love alliteration. But yes, uh, thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. This is a part of the podcast where are there any, anything else you'd like to talk about? Any questions you have for me? And of course, at the very end, I want you to highlight the products you're working on, how people can get in touch with you and where they can find things that you have going on as well. But before that, any other questions for me? Any other comments, anything you'd like to share for the audience? I would say, what's been your most rewarding experience doing the podcast? Like, what have you gotten out of it that you think guests should know? And like, what keeps you motivated to do it? Like you said, you're not even abroad right now. Like, why are you still like engaging and talking to people who are like me, who are doing it? Like, what's been the most rewarding and why do you keep doing it? 
man, I did not, I didn't see that. You can, you can tell, you know, you know, when you're talking to somebody smarter than you and they ask you a smart, smart question, you'd be like, damn, I didn't see that one coming. I did not see that one coming. <laughs> but, um, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, like I said, I tell people all the time when I am behind when I'm podcasting behind this microphone, I am in my most, I'm in my safe space. I love dialogue. I love intellectual dialogue. I love discussing things and I love addressing, solving, and working through issues. That is just what I love to do. And podcasting is the end all be all to my passion. The most rewarding aspect of it is how much I learn. And people always say, oh, wait, you've been all these crazy experiences. I learn from each and every guest that blesses me with the opportunity to interview them because it's something that I it's hard to get that opportunity otherwise, right? Unless you go to a group and it becomes a little bit harder to do that. But I'm very in a fortunate position where I get to ask questions that I want to know, but also things that I know are beneficial for other people as well. But there's like 10% selfishness in that because it's like, hey, if I want to know something, I can ask on this platform and nine times out of 10, somebody is going to answer it. So whether it whether it's something I'm going through personally, professionally, future goals I have, things that are going on in the present, of course, it's 90% about my audience. But that 10% is also for us like, man, like I need that affirmation or I need that direction or I need that person to reinvigorate my passion for travel, for living abroad, for for life. And there's so much energy that comes through the other side of the microphone that people sometimes, maybe you can't, if you see the video, maybe you can see it. And if you listen, maybe you can listen to it. But that's what I hope comes through to other people, to people, the listeners on that side is that passion from people that I'm able to interview and also from me as well. So that has been the most rewarding thing for me is how much I learned from each, even episodes where I'm talking to myself, kind of, sort of. I'm talking through things that hopefully many of my listeners can connect to. And again, that is what I ultimately want to do is build connections with people. And whether or not I talk to all my listeners, because I have a lot of different listeners, that's one thing or another. But hopefully that you're connecting with me through the conversation I'm having with others as well. That was a, a quiet as kept. Might have been the, the, the best question I've ever had. Because y'all know me, I ain't never speeches, but I was speeches for about five seconds. I had to think about that for, for a very long time. So thank you so much. Because that, that one got me. That got me. I love, like, I'm competitive <laughs> just by nature. I know I shouldn't be, but I'd be competitive. So when somebody's like, that's the best question, I'm like, mm-hmm, I had the best question. That was me. That was me with the bad question. <laughs> yeah, but thank you so much uh, for the thought-provoking question, but for the entire interview. And I don't want to leave until you shout out, you know, your handles, where people can find you, the 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 consultant that you do. Uh, where can people find you and learn more about how to get connected with you and all the knowledge you have to share? So I am the Worldwide Educator. So worldwideeducator.org is the website. You can book time with me, whether that's a free 15 minutes, you want a deep dive and you come with the questions and you guide the conversation. I'll support you in answering that. I will follow up with resources afterwards. Or you're like, no, I know specifically I need a resume makeover or I need a mock interview. You can book all of that on the website. In addition, I'm going through a website revamp. And so some things that you can see coming are get good with interviews, being able to buy the replays of that. That is a series that by the time this post may actually be done um, and I'll probably do again. So being able to get that along with the workbooks that go with it to help you think through how you prepare for these things. have an affirmations journal coming out. Also, every week I'm on Clubhouse in a room called Living Life Abroad. 
It's at 8 a.m. Eastern if you're in the United States. Um, and that's intentional. Yes, that's early. Yes, it's a Sunday. But that's a time where most people are around the world are actually available. And the whole point is not just to connect with other people in the United States, but to be able to connect with people who are actually abroad. And if you are abroad, join in, add your voice to that conversation. I think it's been super, super helpful. Um, and then I'm on Instagram. I love, I'm not the best. I'm a work in progress with Instagram. Me and social media are, are definitely something that I reflect on, but there's a lot of content. If you go on there over the, you know, since I started the handle, there's a lot of content, particular, particularly if you're interested in becoming an international educator. I've already posted what are the upcoming job fairs, what are the organizations to look at, what are some of the school groups to look at. I mean, you can go through, there's a host of things. I have some guides on there, so it clusters things together that may be of interest to you. So check me out, one word, Worldwide Educator, on Instagram, worldwideeducator.org. Send me an email, info at worldwideeducator.org. Really simple. You you put in Worldwide Educator. I think I'm actually the number one Google search result. She you. is, y'all. I checked. I Googled <laughs> it. And she is. <laughs> so, like, I really feel like I, I branded myself there. So, like, and if you're not in education, I still support you. So, I've worked with people across industries as well. So, like, yes, I'm an educator, but I'm a damn good teacher. I'm sorry if you, if you don't do cussing, we can't. All right, we do cussing. I'm okay. sorry. Shoot, I was a damn good <laughs> teacher, too. <laughs> So I, I teaching about how to be a good interviewer, teaching about how to get do your resume applies to other job fields as well. So like, don't think you just have to be an educator for me to help you. I want to help everybody win. And I know I can teach you really well to sell yourself a little bit better. So. And again, um, thank you so much for joining the show. I hope you guys got all that. I'm going to link some of it in the description of this podcast. So make sure you check it out. Uh, and again, thank you so very much, Agent, for an amazing conversation. Thank you for dealing with my uh, terrible dentist issue, which you guys will be hearing about two episodes from now. Because America, uh, healthcare, y'all y'all stay here for the healthcare if y'all want to. Whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an amazing, amazing conversation and truly an honor to share the microphone with you today. Thank you so very much. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in for yet another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube. Check out the previous episode where I talk about something really cool that I'm not even going to highlight. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you click on it because it was Top five, it was definitely the third best episode I've produced. And my top two were 100 episodes ago. So make sure you check that out. So thank you so much, Agent, for joining me today. Thank you guys to everybody. Thank you guys to everybody. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. You guys know what time it is. I'm Carl, the Black Expat. We out here.